this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This, this little, little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Welcome to Real Good Stuff, Cynthia. I'm happy to be back, and I'm really proud of you, Scotty. <laughs> I re- I knew, you know, I just kind of could tell. I've just put the gear in your hands. Yeah. And you would use it the way it needed to be used, and you'd find the people you needed to talk to and the people who needed to talk in that moment, and that you would make your own brand of something and come back to this space of sharing stories and helping people to tell their stories. It's some sort of like storytelling guardian angel, <laughs> which is fantastic. Yeah. And I can tell you enjoy it. Yeah. And that's always the hardest part when I put gear in people's hands and they're very, they're reticent or they're afraid or they're like, it's not going to be good enough as much as I want them to go out into the world and interview. It's like, I can't force that, but knowing yeah. that you were just boom, ready. <laughs> it was like, this is going to be great. And here yeah. you are with a, you know, a list of this many episodes now and, and you're rocking it. And it really is just the beginning. It's the re, re introduction of you into the recorded space. It is. It so is. Yeah. It so is. And I'm so, yeah, it's amazing. And I talked to the co-producer of the shows that I did back home today because I just, just had some questions before like reconnecting with you today. And he was like, yeah, he goes, you have over a hundred shows on our website. And I was like, that's, and I needed to be reminded, you know, of, of who I am in this experience of being a part of the homeless population, you know, this, this othering, this stigma, this, this stuff that happens that I think we all do it because the media and there's so many things that are kind of, you know, there's so many stereotypes that are put upon us about our identities. Mm Mm-hmm. And just being able to, the last one uh, we just recorded in chronological order was Nadia Jeanne, and we were talking about social networks. And we talked a lot about that, about just kind of, there's so many boxes to check, and there's so many ways that rather than, like this, this podcast has helped me be reminded of who the members of my community are, mm-hmm. and we're behind a microphone, like talking to each other about shared experience that sometimes wasn't even what we were supposed to sit down to talk about. <laughs> sometimes what you're supposed to talk about happens <laughs> right? just so organically. You know, you have an agenda, a plan, an outline, and it's like, okay, we didn't do that, but we did something so much better. Yeah. You know, and maybe not even better, just what was supposed to come out in that moment. Yeah. And I've always understood that. You know, I've, I'm someone who has to relieve herself of control freak tendencies and I used to be like we're off the outline and so on but then I'd realize wait but once your energies are together and Mm -hmm. you figure out what you're going to talk about it's actually so much nicer to have a conversation right instead of an interview Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you've been having lots of great conversations yeah and and that's what makes it fun yeah absolutely and it sounds like you you were like oh Microphone, you're so, you know, have you, you've podcasted before? Because you're a DJ. Tons. I've but yeah. done a lot of okay. microphone work. Cool. That's why I knew who could handle it. Yeah. Because I could tell who could <laughs> and who couldn't. Yeah, I've done podcasts. Some of the podcasts I've 
done for Heritage Radio Network back in Brooklyn. Okay. Have surpassed like 100,000 listens, you know, things oh, like wow. that. So, and on different, all sorts of different topics from food to music to weddings to just social things and food things. And um, I value getting the voice onto a recorded space and shared. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's like music, you know, it's yeah. interviews and podcasts are, are shared audio bits of life. And people want to listen. I'm so stunned. People with- <laughs> do want to listen, you know, and you'd be, I shouldn't say you'd be surprised, but you should show I am so surprised, grateful Cynthia. that yeah, people I'm grateful. want to listen. <laughs> of course I'm grateful. Are you kidding? And whether it's people who are, you know, listening on a commute or just out of curiosity right. or sometimes something just guides them to just keep listening and mm-hmm. they're like, wow, you know, yeah. that's, that's. That's how I stumble upon most of the things I listen to. Just, wow. Or maybe I'm too lazy to change the channel Mm -hmm. and I end up listening to something that was pretty great. Right. So congrats to you for putting more great things out there. Once the podcasts are edited down to their, you know, beautiful segments and then they can be uploaded onto a million drops' server and they're available for people to just and subscribe to them, then you're going to have a living, breathing, you know, all you kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's such a, there's so many great sound bites. Like there's, so, I met with somebody today about kind of about something else, but we had to take a selfie because I had forgotten our, the selfies that we had been doing. And I was like, Roberta, we got to take the selfie. And we met and we talked because she started telling me and I said, yeah, I said, you say that so eloquently. And she was like, oh, that's right. She goes, I said that on the podcast. And I said, yeah. And I said, it's beautiful because it's on the microphone now. And I said, we can use that. This way that you express this work that you've been doing for 30 years and watching it go from like folks who were unhoused being of a certain group of, you know, people with mental health situations or whatever their situation was to now it's so many different types of people of so many different backgrounds. And it's growing and what do we do about that and how do we talk about that conversation and destigmatize it and again through storytelling and it was just really cool to reconnect with Tom today and think about KCIW and just the things you know and I'm excited it's uh, this is your time (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) it's just your time you know you walked into something you're like oh god here's a recording studio in my pocket it's like what do you do with it yeah so so good and I'm, I'm very pleased all the Laptops in a million drops now have Audacity awesome. downloaded. So awesome. we worked with, I didn't know Josh Townsend, the manager, was going to do that. And as I was asking him, I'm like, so which ones have, and he's like, all of them. He goes, I just went ahead and put them on all of them. And I was like, wow, because our goal is to hopefully get other folks like yeah. talking about like, what do they want to do? Like, and, and develop like a, a request for him. Like, hey, I want to do a show about such and such. And they can do the same thing of like, so how do I book the space and how do, yeah, you know, yeah. things like that. And you relationship build and go out and find people and then talk to people about what you're doing right, and right. say, hey, I've got this podcast. Would you like to sit down and talk about, you know, whatever the said how has it is. been? How has it been for you knowing that you have like the creative kind of carte blanche to create a show however you like, interview however you like, ask whatever questions you like? Is uh, it scary or is it just awesome? It was awesome because I'd done it before, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of in the same, like I'd been given a context and Facebook recently reminded me that initially the show was going to be funk with gardening. Oh, (laughs) not this show, but the initial show that I was going to do the very first one. Right. (laughs) Right. It totally is. Right. (laughs) But I love community gardening and I love just talking about it and getting people gardening and that whole, like, again, collaborative together 
thing that a garden is yeah. um, and the way people come together in those spaces. And you also, it's a great way to show folks about leveraging donations because sometimes money isn't always what people can give, but sometimes like what you've done with a million drops, you, you know, I said to Micah, Hey, I would like to start podcasting again. I'm feeling really vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to a lot of Brene Brown Ted talks mm -hmm. and, you know, innovation, uh, something. What is that quote? Uh, Vulnerability is at the intersection of something innovation. I've quoted it in something another podcast. And something yeah. And something. <laughs> but it's that basically like this vulnerability and this thing that Micah does in the A Million Drops space about believing the best about people mm -hmm. rather than the worst. And people often then vibrate and then exist at that level that we expect, you know, if that makes sense, rather than going, oh my gosh, you're a homeless person and you've got all these things wrong with you. Well, what's good about? you like what do you like to do mm -hmm. and podcasting is what I like to do and everything else seemed to be falling apart but I knew I knew how to do this and it's really helped me that's what that's why honing your skills is so important mm -hmm. it's not just so that you could get a gig but so also you could stay sane and feel like like I'm <laughs> I'm really damn good at this I was gonna yeah. say something no, we <laughs> go did ahead. We, did we curse on this? Uh, we did start cursing. We might have to edit that, but we have. I don't know if that's I'm say, appropriate. I'm really flipping good at this. <laughs> well, I am really fucking good at this. You're really, really good at this. You're very, you're very natural. Yeah. <laughs> So Cynthia, I have some questions that I've written down for you just because I've had people ask me like, what are the prompts? And I like conversation prompts. So, cause I'm curious, I've been following you on, I don't follow my Instagram, but I do follow you on Facebook on your like DJ Cherish the Love page on oh, Facebook. Oh, you're, oh, you're on my DJ page. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love that page. I follow it all the time. It's like my eyes into like, I used mm. to want to live in New York when I was a kid. So yeah, now I you're know kind I need of to my really step it up because people voyeurism. are voyeurism. I totally kidding. am looking. Are you kidding? Can um, I get some, are you cool with video bites? I totally am. All right. We've actually had a couple that have been videoed. One on a video cassette and then one on. Look pretty, Scotty. All right. I'm a, Le I'm a Leo. Are you kidding? <laughs> what does that mean? So we Leo's always look pretty. <laughs> Leos always look pretty. Do we not? <laughs> I love how we're sitting with the exit sign right behind us. This is just in case he asks something just, crazy. Right. Like, I gotta go. Well, everything I ask is a little. Um, so you're really passionate about inclusion. Yeah, because I have experienced bullying in the past. I've experienced exclusion in the past. I've been a bully in the past. I've been very powerful that way and this way. And I understand that understanding inclusion and belongingness um, really affects a person's feeling of self-worth and desire to exist on this globe. Mm -hmm. So that's really important to me. And I work with kids. I work with adults on the same topic. Uh, and it's been something that took me, you know, maybe 40 years to understand there was a term for it. And now I'm very much focused on it. Inclusion for me and what I do professionally as a DJ is the dance floor. Mm -hmm. There's no more awesomely diverse and inclusive space than a really bumping dance floor. Yeah. And you as a DJ, if you've achieved that, awesome. Yeah. Now try to get that kind of space in the corporate environment <laughs> and the rest of your world and, you know, and just be that kind of happy. Mm -hmm. Kind of my goal. Okay. You know. What, how do you do that? How do you get the dance floor bumping? By thinking about who's there. Okay. So people ask me as a DJ, what kind of music do you play? Yeah. 
I mean, I could say I play this genre or so on. I ask people, especially clients, like mm -hmm. I say, okay, what, what music do you love? And they'll say, oh my God, on the radio, I love that song by Drake right now. Yeah. Cool. And I say, okay, what music do you like? They're like, I really like listening to, you know, throwbacks from the 90s. Right. And then I say, okay, so what music do you miss? And when I ask that question, I get into them. Yeah. And then when I get their answers, I include their answers on the dance floor. And they're like, I feel heard. That's super important. <laughs> it's not just for my, the longevity of my career, but to understand that people are people. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're there to connect. They're there to let loose. They're there to just express. That's how I do that on the dance floor. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to write a program that I could pitch to corporations that comes from that viewpoint. Mm -hmm. so there's all kinds of corporate trainings, but a lot of these corporate trainings are created by people who have never put together an actual diverse and inclusive space. <laughs> Find me another diverse, <laughs> diversity and inclusion specialist who's created dance floors and then we can mm -hmm. talk on that level. But everything else is just the kind of like by the book, mm -hmm. very corporate. And corporations do it so that they don't get in trouble by like right. the overseers. So that's how I do that. I just tap into like this thing here, this area, less this area, mm -hmm. more like this area. Mm -hmm. And um, it works. It works. And you can do that when you're talking to people like you do when you're interviewing people. Mm -hmm. You're not just asking them surface cerebral questions. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get into the why, you know, not mm -hmm. the how. The how is like here, mm -hmm. but the why, Yeah. You know. We were talking about that actually on a podcast on KCAW that I'd listened to recently, kind of thinking about like the podcasting that I'd done back in the past. Mm -hmm. And powerful questions was one of the things that an organiz healthcare organization, they brought in someone to train us on this community advisory council. And she was like, as you're doing this community work and you're accessing these folks who are low income, who have the lived experience like you do, and you're talking to them or you're talking to a healthcare provider or someone from the insurance company like we work for, when you ask questions, make them powerful questions. Mm -hmm. Sure. Right? Yeah. And I feel like that, like, what music do you miss? Like, that's such a powerful, like, it's easy to ask, like, what music do you love? What music do you like? We get asked that a lot. What music yeah. do you miss? What, what music do you yeah. miss brings you back to people you love and miss, mm -hmm. a time in your life where you felt young, able, potential mm -hmm. was there. You know, you just felt like it was, you know, you had the the whole world in front of you and, you, like, no barriers. You mm -hmm. know, it just brings you back to a place. And that's how I... That's how I create my, yeah. my space. And how being othered or being the outsider is such a, a different experience if you've never been through it. Um, how do you welcome people into a space, right, when they might not feel like they belong? Oh, I look at them. It's so simple. Like, you can see on the dance floor who has, like, say trauma mm -hmm. in their body oh really totally if you give a shit and you're looking you can yeah. see it that's the person who's like kind of near the wall but kind of like but they're scared to come in yeah. closer and totally. i would get on the mic and just go i see you red shirt i see you and then i'm like come on and nine out of ten times they're like okay since the dj sees me and then they come in and then they're like i had the best time of my life Oh my god. It's so simple. Yes. Yeah. Or just like mm -hmm. sometimes it's just as easy as that. And they're looking at you. You're, oh yeah. You know, 
you acknowledge them, it goes a really long way. And I want to create this type of space where people feel like, yo, you know, we're all here to be in this, you know, space and just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's how I, that's what I think is happening. But oh, totally. I create <laughs> I create a pretty lively lively environment the eye contact with the dj and i never realized that before there was a night at the eagle after i moved back here to la and they don't even really have a dance floor there but some nights there's a dj on especially on weeknights there's not a lot of people there and i believe it happened to be lesbian night and i didn't know i just wanted to listen to music and be around people and the dj kept making eye contact and i had such a blast i lost myself and it was like there was a whole club there and i was really one of the only people that was actually dancing but so many people that came up and like you were having so much fun and i was like yeah, you feel connected but i didn't even think about that until you just said it that's what it is there are a lot of performers a lot of djs who are too cool to look at people yeah and maybe it just distracts them maybe mm-hmm. it's not their personality it's definitely my personality mm-hmm. so i use it yeah. not even knowing that's what i'm trying to do i just i see you you know like yeah. I, like i see you yeah especially with kids oh mm-hmm. my god it's like they need to be seen you know we need to be seen feels like pretty bad when you feel invisible in the mm-hmm. world with like 7.4 billion people and mm-hmm. you feel invisible so that's that's what i try to do it's and it's so simple it doesn't cost me anything doesn't distract me you know it's it's just part of the scape mm-hmm. <laughs> like the landscape of when i do it i want to see who's here so that's that's my simple secret. It's like not really a secret even. It's just and human. Make, makes people want to engage. It makes people at the end of the night say, you're the best DJ in the world. And I'm like, that's what I needed to hear. <laughs> Thank you. Just this is all for my ego. <laughs> no, it makes people feel mm-hmm. like they had a great time. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than being the DJ for the night and then feeling like people didn't have a good time. That's like, it makes you feel yeah. like, why did I, why am I even here? Totally. Yeah. We've been talking actually about having you come and having you DJ. Oh, we can party. For us. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We thought it would be fun because we started to do that on the game night. Music was playing and Mike and a couple people started dancing. She goes, I was like, oh, I really want to get Cynthia here one All time right. when she's just not busy and just book you we'll for a night and out an like give you, you know, like, hey, here's some, here's some gratuities and we, we're going to rock. <laughs> we can put some flashing lights on and everything. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I, yeah, I would be really excited because I love and to dance. Speaking of inclusion in regards to the DJ, I'm one of the weird ones who takes requests. So that's also something that a lot of DJs won't do. So I include people by taking requests. Oh, cool. I mean, Mm -hmm. if it's appropriate, I'm playing it. If it's like, what are you asking me that? (laughs) Then I'm maybe going to mix it in somehow just so I could check it off and say I did it. (laughs) Totally. Totally. So as I was thinking about this and sitting down with you, like the theme of storytelling keeps coming up at a million drops and people sharing their stories even during classes or things that we have that maybe don't even have anything to do with storytelling people want to share what's happened to them or their experiences even if it's not related to what's happening why is storytelling do you think is important or why do you know it's important oh i know storytelling is important because it is the piece of us and our experience that's spoken shareable can be reshared and we learn about each other through storytelling. Mm-hmm. We learn about our own history through storytelling. We learn about ourselves through storytelling. Someone who's like clammed up their whole life and doesn't share stories doesn't grow. Mm-hmm. And storytelling and listening to other stories is how we learn and grow. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. You know, imagine you never told people who you were or like what you did or anything like that. Would, mm-hmm. you, would you really feel like people knew you or that you even really existed? It's like... 
if a tree falls in the forest and doesn't tell a story, does it <laughs> like, does it exist? I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, yes, you I know, do. As I grew a story, up near the redwoods, so I do know. <laughs> well, you know, as a storytelling um, Pokemon capturer, let's say, like you like to <laughs> capture those stories. A you, Pokemon story, Pokemon capturer. I you understand that. how important it is to get the stories out of people. Yeah. They're transformed from before they told the story to after. They're lighter. They feel mm-hmm. like maybe they've been more honest and they, you know, got something out of them and they get to tell someone who gives a shit mm-hmm. about, you know, something that's important to them. So that's why I know storytelling is important. You see it in kids. Kids want to tell stories. Oh, yeah. la, 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 la. They're like telling the story and you're like, oh my God, I don't want to hear this. But they need to tell mm-hmm. it. And the way they tell it might be very high pitched or whatever. But, yeah. but you see that kids need to tell that. We get to school and we're told to be quiet. Mm-hmm. And then things start to shut down. And then we have to, in the middle point of our life, have to unlearn all those things that told us to shut up and start to like find ourselves again. Mm-hmm. That's how important it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was doing this from the time I was little. I was behind a microphone. I was like walking on the beach. I was like, yeah, (laughs) I was like, I was like, I am practicing this. Someday it's going to come in handy. And I did not know why. So mentoring is obviously really important to you. Like, do you want to speak to that? Like, is there like mentors that have been really and particularly important to you or like moments that stand out, like that have kind of solidified that? Because you've certainly mentored me in a lot of ways. I've had a lot of mentors, and not all of them have been older than me. Okay. I've had a lot of kids who didn't know they were mentoring me by mm-hmm. just showing me truth and honesty by like how they are, and me seeing in myself like how I was as a kid and seeing them, and just kind of forgiving myself for the way things were when I was a kid. I've had mentors who are twice my age. Uh, mentorship is so. I think I've grown more from mentoring and being a mentee more than any minute of schooling in a formal institution I've ever had. Really? Sure. Yeah, definitely. In a one-hour lunch with one of my previous, like a uh, dear friend of mine who used to be an art mentor of mine, I could learn so much about art history and experience mm-hmm. and how people work in the art of business, uh, business of art <laughs> and everything then I would if I were to take those courses in a textbook fashion. Plus, mentorship is just like human experience. And I think that if the more you load your life with that, you just kind of crowd out all the other bullshit experiences with people that you might have. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, if my whole day was spent mentoring and being a mentee, then I really didn't have time for conflict. Yeah. But that's not the real reason why I love mentoring. I just love to teach mm-hmm. and to help via my own... I don't want to say mistakes. My own learnings mm-hmm. help preempt some kind of disaster for someone else, you know, just by showing by example, like mm-hmm. ways to navigate this world. Yeah. Whenever someone asks to be mentored by me, I, I'm, I'm going to say yes. And we just like figure out schedule. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely asked people, you know, can I learn from you? And they've said yes. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever actually had someone say no, <laughs> which thank goodness that probably would crush me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But mentoring is is super important. It's some of my strongest friendships are from mentee-mentor experiences. Really? Yeah. 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 I'm thinking about it now. And one of my mentors I found on Craigslist, which is really funny. (laughs) I was just buying some program that she was selling, and then we became friends. And then I ended up, she became like an advisor, a life advisor for me. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. 
And I just ask like, hey, I feel like this about this kind of thing. And she's like, <laughs> let me tell you about that. And then I just listen and be like, okay, thanks for that. You know, that image mm-hmm. of getting through a thing like this. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents, I couldn't get that from my parents. Mm-hmm. Which definitely not. Um, siblings, no. Yeah. It's just almost like you kind of need to know people not related to you. Mm-hmm. Just so that you can get a non-biased, non-judgmental kind of, you know, back and forth with people. Hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's for his mom. <laughs> And mine and my dad, too. <laughs> I miss you, dad, though. My dad was the one who encouraged this creativity in me, though. Ah. Uh, he was very, he was a Vietnam vet uh, from the Marine Corps. So he was very, like, emotionally detached when I was young. Mm. But after I moved to L.A. and kind of was like, okay, I'm away from everyone. I can do whatever I want. And I'm going to completely, like, come out as a queer or a gay male and be really open. I grew up in a really conservative home. Mm-hmm. Um And he actually apologized to me on the phone and was crying uh, when I was about 22 because he felt so bad that he wasn't Mm. there in more ways. But just, I mean, he made me a drafting table. I mean, he he encouraged my creativity in so such robust ways and kind of implanted that in me that it kind of always stuck with me Mm -hmm. and caused me then to like say to other people, hey, let's do it. You're nervous about being on a podcast nobody's going to be listening. Like we can sit down, you know, there's been so many people that have told me, Oh, I can't do that. Mm, interesting. Really? Are you, interesting. There's nobody in here but us. Like, right. why can't we, if you don't like it and you're not comfortable, we don't have to use it, you know, but you might like it. And usually, like you said, nine times out of 10, they're like, Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. But that's fine. I mean, everybody's in their own space in their mm-hmm. own life. Oh yeah. You know, space about their confidence and who they are in the moment someone who might not want to record themselves in this moment might not really like themselves in this moment. So that's fine. You know, some people have to work their things out. Mm-hmm. Some people who are like, I have so much I want to say right now because it's so damn good. You know, like then work with them. You know yeah. what I mean? And sometimes we all, I have days where it's so damn good. And I still, you know, I'm struggling with that whole, cause that concept of self love keeps coming up in these podcasts as well as mental health. This idea of, even when we're struggling, even when it's dark, even when it doesn't feel like I can go on, the storm is going to pass if I just hold on and build relationships and connect to people and try if I can to reach out. And then one day I was sitting out here above the freeway, sitting on the bench, just sitting there crying, just sobbing my eyes out. And Beowulf Jones, our new storyteller for A Million Drops, he just comes walking by and he just stops and he's like, hey, how's it going? And I was like, not good. And he just like held space with me for a minute. And there he was go. like, you're a really good person. And it's just like, sometimes it takes that, mm-hmm. you know, cause mm-hmm. life can be hard. Oh, it can. <laughs> That's news to me. Life can be hard. <laughs> it's not news to me. <laughs> Waking up in the dirt. Sometimes it's not news to me. <laughs> I'm going to flip this interview. So Scotty's interviewing me, but I'm going to ask you a question. Oh yeah, please do. As a person who is experiencing homelessness yeah what does self-love look like not believing what other people say about me Mm, not believing what other people say about you good i like that a lot of people want to ask what did i do wrong why are you so clean why do you make eye contact you're so well-spoken 
Hmm. You're so smart. Well, you don't seem like you're mentally ill. The, the, the things, and these are from people, these aren't from NIMBYs. That's not in my backyard because we define our acronyms. <laughs> but these are from advocates. NIMBY. These okay, are, got these it, are, got it. The, well, right, for people who are the homeless, for people that are unhoused. There's a lot of people that don't, just aren't going to like you just because of the stigma and the stereotype and all of that. But those questions that I get, those aren't from the NIMBYs. Those are from people that are in community with me. Oh. These are these are advocates. These are That's interesting. Yeah, right? Isn't that Why interesting? Is that? I don't know. So people I go like to church a, with. Um, self judgment um, kind of oh, like, sorry if you're listening to this and you heard that. <laughs> not church. Something else he meant. Gym, well, the gym or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, they know it though, because we're working uh, on this new thing called Soap Hope or Hope Soap. It's called Hope Soap. Uh, and it's this little soap that a friend of mine that I go to church with on Thursday nights, uh, we've been talking about this idea of person first language and not othering folks and being in community with them and realizing that people who are unhoused are people, right? And seeing that identity before we see the fact that they don't have permanent shelter. And we were talking about like, as we're going to go around to churches and we're working on a mission statement and, and, I'm like, well, we should really have a business plan, right? If we're going to go forward with this and we're going to ask people, we should really have like things lined out and have a little vision statement. Even if it's not a big, a big thing, we should show that we've thought about this rather than sure. just a couple of people yeah. making soap and handing it out to people and it's organic soap. And it's taking on this interesting life of its own, but the whole thing's about growing relationships and the whole thing's about connecting. But my joke name for it was White Savior Soap. And she's like, we can't name it that. We can't name it that. And I was like, but isn't that what this is kind of about is getting folks, you know, who are, we do that sometimes. We want to go in and we want to tell somebody else what their experience is or help them. And one of my favorite quotes recently that I, Father Greg Boyle, there's this book called Tattoos on the Heart and Homeboy Industries. And there, there is no us and them. There is only us. And this idea that we're going to go and save somebody or help somebody. And I know that's why A Million Drops is so successful in the sense of people walk into the space Mm -hmm. and say there's something different here. Because it's this connection. It's this idea of, again, what's good about people rather than what's wrong with them. Because it's so easy in this situation to believe what, you know, all of these things. And fortunately for me, well, unfortunately for me, I grew up in a really conservative church that told me a lot of things that weren't true about me as well. So I already have this experience. And recently I've made that connection. And I'm not the only LGBTQ person that goes to a million drops that's made that connection, even in our poetry class and writing our poetry and the experience of homelessness and growing up LGBTQ in a conservative Christian or religious environment like those two things have a lot of shame attached and a lot Mm. of untruths Mm -hmm. said that I kind of have had to unpack shout out to Micah for the space yeah absolutely yeah great answer to my question powerful questions powerful questions as a cancer survivor that is the same answer for me not listening to other people's diagnoses and not other people's prognosi for me and just going no you know I'm going to care for myself the way mm-hmm. I need to care for myself. Right. And that's profound, you know. Yeah. That means you you trust yourself. You need help. You need assistance here and there, yeah. but ultimately you trust yourself. Yeah. And, oh, I and need a lot of assistance. Are you kidding? Super important. <laughs> yeah. I mean and networks. Ask it so ask important. for it and get it when you yeah. need it and can get it. Mm-hmm. 
nothing wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do social networks mean to you? Because obviously they're important. You mean digital social networks or human social networks? Connections to people, like our real, like not digital. I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. a, I think that's a value, but I think the mm -hmm. more the face to face, like the, those that relationship building, that linking up, that connecting and collaborating. What does it mean for me? I mean, that's some of the most fun experiences I have actually connecting with people face to face convening and brainstorming in person is where things actually get really mm -hmm. thought out and, and experienced there are times when i'm working solo and that's fine mm -hmm. but there are other times when i'm like no i really need to be with humans right now yeah and i think in this stage of my life i'm so attracted to that that's why i'm loving the idea of being in party spaces mm -hmm. a lot yeah it's not how i was in my first 30 years of life i hated it I really? was like, yeah, I was like, oh my God. And I was behind a computer all the time. I was perfectly fine like that. Really? Totally. And I was just wow. like, I just don't trust humans. I don't oh, like yeah. people. I think people are horrible and awful. Then I went through some shit mm -hmm. and I realized oh, I need people. I need mm -hmm. the people I need. And these good people do exist. And that's who I spend my time with now. Yeah, I had a complete midlife swap about what I felt about humans you know yeah. I started to have more compassion about what people go through mm -hmm. and and I started to understand that also what what people present in their like awkwardness or ni not niceness or so on had nothing to do with me yeah. like had to do with whatever they were going through in that moment yeah and I learned how to not make that about me yeah instead I would say okay well right now we're going to split ways because we're toxic for each other <laughs> let me just go to another part of what I need to do mm -hmm. and you go do what you gotta do and as simple as that and it sounds like silly to say simple as that but it kind of became mm -hmm. simple as that for me so I used to be someone who wanted to fix people or like the people should be in a perfect situation or someone mm -hmm. or at some point of their life you should have achieved x y or z and I'm like nah it's not like that actually mm -hmm. but that's what I grew up with yeah you know, so I grew up with this very like stringent goals reinforced Catholic kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, by this stage, you're supposed to get married and you mm -hmm. have kids and you're professionally like this and you have this house and da da da. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's so stressful. That just doesn't fit reality, mm -hmm. you know. So now I'm just super, you know, I just take people for where they are in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I stop building in a bias or what I feel like they should be or what I wish they were. That's the hard, that was the hardest for me. Yeah. Wishing different things for people mm -hmm. was something that I used to do a lot, like to my 20s and 30s. And then I felt like maybe I could help you. But I realized, no, maybe you're perfectly okay on your path. Yeah. Because maybe you're learning something that I, I or no one else could ever teach you, mm -hmm. but life is to teach you. And that's fine. Totally yeah. fine. Maybe not easy, but yeah. it's yours, you know? It's yeah. hard to let go of that. The more I well, thought it's about... it's hard for me. I hear that. I hear that. But the more I realized I got so much love from myself for letting myself learn through myself, mm -hmm. I realized, wow, it would really suck if there was someone getting in the way of that for me. I mean, again, that's not the same as getting assistance. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, I had been in relationships where they were very just codependent mm -hmm. and I realized, yeah, we're not good for each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like we're not achieving each other's personal goals. Right. And we're trying to create that whole you're more valuable than me thing. And it's just like, oh, no, that's mm -hmm. not good. Yeah. And people are taught that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it shouldn't be. It's not selfish to put yourself first because you want to care for yourself first. That's not selfish. That's just self. That's self-care. Mm -hmm. Like, that's totally, you know, like, 
it should be like that. The best, the better you are, the better you can be for other people. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was something I had to learn. I thought yeah. I had to just follow this thing that I learned from my mom, especially to like be a martyr. And like pieces of you get chipped away because you're giving it to someone else. Meanwhile, you start just, uh, you know, and I was like, wait a minute, I don't want to do that. Oh, I don't have to do that. Actually, I'm able to reach more people with more energy and more love for myself. If I'm able to like care for myself better, I reach more people. Oh, didn't know that. So I had to learn that. That took a while. We have a lot of similarities. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to talk coming from a background that had any kind of religion and guilt yeah. and things like that and shame in it, yeah, then a lot of us have similarities. Yeah. Well, the whole, like, martyrdom of, like, I had to realize when I was in my early 30s mm-hmm. that I was either going to continue seeking out a relationship mm-hmm. or I was going to understand that I was on this path of being an organizer and something else was happening. And almost every guy that I have ever interacted with has not understood why I do what I do. Because most of what I do, I don't get paid for. Mm-hmm. Most of the relationship building that I do is completely just because I really enjoy it. I really enjoy connecting to people. And it's been interesting to kind of even have folks at churches go, well, who do you work for? And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that's kind of funny coming from someone that like I go to church, but I feel like I'm I feel like as a person, as a human being, I feel like I'm, I have so much of that experience of feeling like the outsider of, of knowing that I am, of being told that I was in mm-hmm. certain groups of then wanting to, whoever it is say, no, Hey, you're welcome here. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's part of why I seek churches out that are like that because so you're into the in- yeah. inclusion also. You yeah. Reconciliation is the, the big thing that I'm kind of finding like mm-hmm. with churches is like, there's a lot of people that grew up in churches that were shamed or mm-hmm. judged or treated in certain ways. And there's been a shift that's happened in mm-hmm. a lot of, not all spaces, but in many spaces. And well, even as it was a Pacific university that I went to here, what was my entrance into Los Angeles, just that school alone. And just the things that are happening there with the students basically saying, we're not going to take this anymore. Stop treating our classmates this way. Stop treating people this way. This isn't acceptable. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, mm-hmm. it's not my place to tell you or anybody else how to live. You should, Period. Ment- you can mentor people on that. That's a strong topic that you could have like conversations. <laughs> well, it's you true, know? you know, like, and there's been so many people that, you know, just around the whole being queer thing, you mm-hmm. know, and just people not getting that, like, I'm going to tell you about it because you're probably going to ask me about it because it inevitably comes up in so many conversations, but ultimately it's not your business. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, I'm going to mm-hmm. be out because I've been called faggot since I can remember, but I've had to reclaim that and say, but this is also me and you don't get to talk in that way. Like Mm -hmm. if you talk, say whatever you want behind my back. But like you kind of said, like when you're like, you're, we're going to act in a certain way and and treat each other in a certain way, because I don't know, I want to be ultimately loving towards people, you know, and I want, I want want people to, I think we all do. Right. Like you said, like you've been on both sides of the bullying and things like that. And like, I've certainly been in that situation where I've not been the most loving, but then realizing, like you said, sometimes it had nothing to do with that situation. Sometimes it had to do with something completely different that was going on. Again, Brene Brown calls that discharging anger where like things, trauma or aggression happens to us. And then we go and we're in a completely different situation. And all of a sudden it comes out and we're like, where did that come from? And the other person is like, where did that come from? 
I've been on both <laughs> on both yeah. sides of yeah. that, and yeah. and I understand that now. You know, I yeah. didn't see that yeah. growing up. I don't want to experience pain, and I don't want to trigger pain in other yeah. people. I can't, I can't, you know, make someone feel pain. It's like I also can't control how people judge experiences they have with me. Like that's mm-hmm. that's like they're right, but I also don't want to create pain. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to be that catalyst. You know, that's a conscious effort. It really is because while you're managing this thing called self-love and self-care and so on sometimes you're just like kind of like oh yeah the world around me and then you don't realize things but that's not intentional yeah what i have experienced on both sides being the recipient and the you know the doer of like intentionally creating difficult situations Mm -hmm. as a discharge Mm -hmm. as you were saying i'm human you know what i mean but in that uh, admitting that i'm human i know that i can make mistakes and I can make things better. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm focused on for the rest of my life. Yeah. As a kid, as a young person, I think I was very interested in chaos because I was not very mm-hmm. attended to. Mm-hmm. So the more kind of like disruption I made, hey, they're taking a look at me, you know, yeah. or, or hey, if I'm quiet, no one, you know, bothers me. Like it shouldn't be like that. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be like that at all, but that's kind of how it was for me for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's ironic, the next conversation prompt. Mm. Well, not really in that order because we kind of flipped around. But it's like <laughs> you knew what I was going to ask you next. Why is music so healing? Oh, so many reasons. It's, it's an escape. It's an expression. If you're creating music, it's very much an expression. Talk about mm-hmm. how, how to discharge. You can discharge through music. I'm a creative person by nature. I'm also a musical person by nature. Mm-hmm. So it's like breathing and speaking to me. Yeah. Why is it so healing? Your body moves with it. Mm-hmm. We need to move our bodies. Yeah. These bodies can't just stay still and frozen mm-hmm. in trauma and PTSD and pain. Mm-hmm. They have to move. Mm-hmm. And and when you move, things break apart. Scar tissue breaks when you move. Music is healing also because it is, it, I mean, sometimes they're just sounds that are so universally beautiful. Mm-hmm. You go around the globe and you hear rhythms and things that just feel like they're speaking to your heartbeat. That's yeah really special music heals uh it's like a never-ending conversation about it i'm I'm sure you have turned to music in very difficult times to tune out the rest of the world and you just like listen to a thing i've listened to a thing on loop maybe a hundred times or going through a breakup i'll listen to a specific specific album of that time and it helps me yeah i think music helps carry us through Mm -hmm. through things it brings good memories in it helps us cope with painful things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you hear lyrics that are like, I'm going through that. And the, the music speaks for you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just totally not what you're going through. And you just need something completely different. Mm-hmm. You need to hear that corny song again. You need to you know, listen to something that makes you think of good times. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely some songs I don't listen to because they trigger yeah. some like oh, yeah. feelings in me. That's great. Yeah. So it's not time for that song right now. Mm-hmm. But there's a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Um, Scientifically, music is healing because of the vibrations that different notes make. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, interact with your body and your brain waves in certain ways. It's like you know helps you calm helps calm mm-hmm. you down. Yeah. Or music can be very aggressive, like death metal, and people like mm-hmm. that because that's how they feel and they just mm-hmm. want to like thrash. Great. Yeah. Or you can just play the piano lightly, and it's healing because maybe you mastered a piece and you're mm-hmm. like, <gasps> you feel proud of yourself. Like so many things. Yeah. 
Now, I've brought music into into hospices where really? patients are dying, yeah. And the things that I've experienced through music with the dying patients is like total music healing conversation. I've had mm-hmm. patients who are has stroke patients who were paralyzed on one side start to dance and move to Frank Sinatra as I was playing it. And their daughter is like, oh my God, she's moving, you know, things like that. I've had patients who are leaving this world one foot out the door. Mm-hmm. And I was told, don't play music, let them go. That's how powerful music is. That is how powerful music is. Really? Yeah, it's, it's oh, really, wow. it's, uh, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't know the words, yeah. but I can tell you the stories around it. Yeah. That's so weird. So yeah, then you must wild. know about hospice choirs. Do you? Uh, I don't actually. You Not don't? hospice choirs. Oh my goodness. Yeah. End of life yeah. choirs. Yeah. No, there's I've actually never encountered that. I was that. trying to get one started back in my hometown oh, through the wow. senior center there. And we had been talking about the hospice there yeah. on the Southern Oregon coast about getting one started. And So it's basically um, a choir that goes in and Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's a small group and it's oftentimes women. Beautiful. And they go and they, you know, they'll sing and there's a, yeah. num- there's a, um, there's actually a website. I forgot what it's called, but they're called end of life doulas basically. Yeah. 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 Sure. Right. Yeah. And so, there's all kinds um, of terms. Yeah. There are long terms for music in the hospice setting i was so shocked to find that out a few years ago so yeah yeah i haven't encountered a choir yet okay i've brought music in and people have played instruments acoustic and so on but not an actual choir but that sounds really great too yeah you know i see the choirs at the senior centers they Mm -hmm. they go by the senior center near me and my mom is part of a choir and she's part of at least one or two senior centers so i know the power of singing Mm mm-hmm that's also, you know, another way to use your voice mm-hmm. and, and find yourself that yeah. way. Pretty scary when you're not confident singing, but once you find something, oh, yeah. it's like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. if you find that, it's metaphysical gold, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> which I think you found in your choir, right? Because you're Urban doing Urban Voices choir? Project? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the stage fright, though, that gets me. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is really easy because, like, there's nobody here. Like, it's right. just us and the exit sign. But what's behind the exit sign? What's behind the, the exit potential sign? Should the be potential scared. Hollywoods out there. <laughs> you have stage fright, even with the choir. Oh, oh my goodness. Really? Yeah, I, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I've been singing since before I could talk. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was always like, you know, putting on little shows for people. And okay. I was in choir at church from the time I was a kid. I was in the kids' choir. I played the organ in my church growing up. Oh, wow. um, I've been very, like, very much into performing. And kind of like, once I discovered the community organizing, I kind of put my quote unquote performing skills into that and mm-hmm. to talking about mm-hmm. to people about all of this in the context of, you know, intergenerational poverty and redlining and oh, gentrification yeah. and displacement. And, you know, again, with what's happening with homelessness, it's really easy to victim blame and talk about the individual rather than, you know, the lady at church yesterday who was crying about people she knows that are spending 80% of their income here on rent in Los Angeles. And she's Mm. like, this isn't fair. And she's like, it makes me angry. And the priest is a community organizer himself by occupation before he became a priest. And he said that was one of the very first organizing jobs I had. They asked me when we sat down for the interview, what makes you angry? Mm. And so it's just interesting how that, you know, right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. The injustice of feeling left out, of feeling like I didn't belong, of, you know, showing up at churches with my bags and feeling like the homeless person made me even more want to confront that and even more want to say, hey, you want to be welcoming? Let's really talk then about Mm -hmm. how we're not welcoming and really push ourselves to be who we're going to say we are. Right, right, right. Powerful. That's super powerful. What's next for DJ Cherish the Love? 
Literally next? <laughs> <laughs> Dinner. Well, maybe literally next. <laughs> but f- next, like creativity wise, like what can you talk about? Like what, what are you most you excited about? What I'm most excited about right now is I'm writing a diversity and inclusion program. <gasps> wow. And I thought that was going to be easier to write, but yeah. it actually takes a lot of thought. Okay. Because it's not something you can just easily mm-hmm. bang out all yeah. of these concepts. I write it and reread it and apply it to experiences I've had firsthand mm-hmm. so that it's genuine and authentic. Mm-hmm. From the bullying, from the inclusion, the exclusion, the sense of belongingness, how to foster that. Admitting our own biases, mm-hmm. major too. And mm-hmm. I have to see my own like demons and my own right. things and be like, oh, well, I'm writing this chapter because this is what I want to change about myself. I'm going through all of that, right? I'm actually going to be using that with a program next month. So, really? Yeah, so it's actually been ordered that's a little bit scary, but it's going to be exciting. And once I That's do that, yeah, it's going to be my, I guess, first edition of that. Okay. And when I feel confident after using it with these 30 something people, then I'm going to make a second edition with those tweaks, publish that and just kind of have it out there and just keep changing, you know, making changes mm-hmm. to it and growing it. And I can see it in its 11th edition, just constantly keep building on it. It's something I want to put out there for people to access. It's not going to be expensive. You can get it digitally and just mm-hmm. like reflect on these things. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot over time with these concepts and these topics. And I want to have a discussion. So I'm in my 40s and this generation didn't grow up with these mm-hmm. ideas of what did we grow up with? Tolerance. So think about tolerance. Tolerance versus inclusion. Like, why mm-hmm. do I have to tolerate you? Right. What about you do I have to tolerate? Yeah. Like, oh, you're X, Y, and Z. <laughs> I guess I have to tolerate that. Yeah. Like, what kind of thing is that to teach yeah. people instead of just knowing we all exist in the room? Mm-hmm. We don't tolerate each other. Mm-hmm. So just open your damn eyes and yeah. wake up to it, yeah. you know, and stop. Hating things because you don't know anything about it is mm-hmm. the sign. Mm-hmm. that you need to learn mm-hmm. hating things because you tasted it you smelled it you don't like it and like you're like oh i got allergic to it i hate it fair enough mm-hmm. but hating the things you don't know instant sign you're ignorant mm-hmm. so like learn something and right. maybe you might love something about mm-hmm. it you know i think that's part of the message i want to put out there that's very exciting creative wise dj wise we've got a bunch of events coming up i'm doing dj music workshops with a place in New York called the Flatland Center, which is a homeless um, temporary shelter, emergency shelter for people experiencing homelessness, youth and adults. We just got the grant from the mayor of New York to create this program. Oh, wow. It's me, Willie Mae Rockcamp, and another musician. And we are going in with stuff I got from Bose, DJ gear, and just to, you know, bring music to that situation because mental health, emotional health Mm is... How do you get to the next level without feeling better about Mm -hmm. yourself. I think that that's like major, it's a major anchor. Mm -hmm. I know for my life, when I felt like shit, I couldn't get to the next level. Right. So I just wanna help people feel a little bit lighter and just be like a little bit more okay and just see, okay, now let's try to picture what the next Mm -hmm. space could be. So Flatlands um, Temporary Residency, that's huge, that's next month. So that's kind of, you know, it's gonna be a beautiful year for community work. So that's exciting. That's what's happening next month. Yeah, once I get back to New York, which will be in a couple of weeks. It's going yeah. by very fast, this trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it'll be warm when you get back there? Mm-mm. No? No, it'll feel like right now here. So it's 12 degrees cooler in New York. Okay. Pretty much on average. Whatever it is here, it's 12 degrees cooler. Yeah. So by the time I get there, it'll be like feeling like oh. here. 
It's not bad, but it's not summer. I wore my New York City shirt oh, just for Cynthia. Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> huh, I wore it specifically for you. Because I wasn't trying to, you know, hey, feel up NYC, on his body. we love you. <laughs> oh, right, exactly. Well. <laughs> Unless he wants. <laughs> I love this shirt, though. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I got it at Ross. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love it too. And I wore it specifically. I was like, what, what shirt am I going to wear today? There you I'm go. I'm going to wrap NYC for go. Cynthia. I love it. Thank you so much, Cynthia, like for bringing these microphones for us to experiment and play and create with. And yeah, yeah, I'm so all excited. All of the above. And just the things that you've, obviously what you've reignited in me is phenomenal. I can't imagine. Could you put imagine. that to words? What was reignited in you? By putting two microphones in your hands and a recording device and just trust what was reignited in you. The ability to sit with people mm -hmm. and hear what they had to say and get my mind off of the shit that was happening to me. Mm. This is therapy. It's super therapy because otherwise before these mic, I, the previous year I was like, oh my gosh, I'm... I'm homeless. This is never going to change. This is way harder than I thought. Yeah, I'm an activist and, and an advocate, but I can't even get housing. Like, how hard is this? These microphones got into my hands and all of a sudden it was like, oh, wait a minute. You had an apartment once. You can produce pot. Are you kidding? Look how oh. brilliant you are. You know, that was reignited. All of these things that have been told like, oh, why are you so this? Why are you so that? I can't believe that you're so well spoken. Mm. There's a reason why I am. Who's cutting onions? <laughs> getting misty <laughs> who's cutting onions in here who's nobody's cutting onions <laughs> i am italian <laughs> i'm italian we're cutting so onions suddenly started getting <laughs> that that should be the thing on these podcasts wow. like we're cutting onions emotion. again. it's okay it's okay we have we have we've talked about we've had we've talked about Scott. so many things on these podcasts with with just struggles and and the beauty that can come out of that and the transformation and so thank you so well, much it's so, real I good mean, stuff thank you thank you for showing up and for yeah. doing the work and the ripple effect of what i handed you gear then you're like i'm gonna meet people you got them to open up mm -hmm. and they did who knows what like feeling opened up right. whoever they interacted with and so on and so on and so forth that ripple effect that's real it is real that's i real. felt it yeah. I felt it. I felt yeah. it. So thank you. So you gave me a list of 20 interviews. Like that is actually affecting hundreds of people. And this is before it even publishes. So just. I know, you know. right? Yeah. I'm excited. Nice job. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Real Good Stuff. I'm Scott Clapson. Special thank you to our executive producer, DJ Cherish the Love. Cynthia, we love you. Thank you, listeners, for being here and supporting, donating. A million Drops Center, visit it. If you're not in the L.A. area, then donate to it. It's so easy. A milliondrops.org. That's right. And I am a monthly PayPal donor. Oh, you are? Oh, Super wow. Super easy. Super no easy. No excuses. No excuses. Ten bucks a month. Ten bucks a month. How many people do you need? 200 people donating $10 a month. Keeps the rent going. Keeps the rent going go. and all of our utilities and things like that paid. So It's like yeah. two less like frappuccinos. Come on. You don't need the calories. <laughs> Trust. And you don't need and the And that's cavities. only a month. Yeah, that's nothing. Yeah, please. that's nothing. That's nothing. Yeah. This it. is definitely something, though. Do it. Thank you for listening <laughs> to Real Good Stuff. Thank you to A Million Drops. Have a great day.